we pretend or maybe we just don't know how to feel those other, if you in inverted commas, bad emotions. We don't want to feel them. We don't know how to feel them. We don't know what we're feeling. And it's a real challenge. And so we do say, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm okay. But uh, in my experience, everyone's got some something there on their chest that they need to get off. Someone's got, everyone's got some guilt and shame that they're carrying around that they don't need to. Everyone's got some sort of unworthiness issue, some element of being alone. And I could see that really clearly coming out the other side of that time when Jacka was 18 months. I was like, we need to do something about this. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast, the show that helps crack open your heart and inspire a deeper regard for your own well-being and happiness. Proudly brought to you by 28 Essentials, here's your host, the gorgeous Kim Morrison. Welcome to the Self Love Podcast. This week, a remarkable human, a beautiful soul and someone who's really Uh, listened, grown and learned through all of his career pathways, sport and all of the things that he loves. Gorgeous Sam Parker. You're going to love this interview because not only is this human an incredible soul with his background in health science, chiropractic, sport and also being the best he can possibly be, he's also a loving father and husband. He's also the accidental founder of the men's health charity Grab Life by the Balls. Sam is a passionate men's health advocate, hellbent on bringing positive and proactive change to the health and well-being of males across the world. But you don't be fooled by his laid-back, beautiful personality and his barefoot demeanor. This man has a huge heart and a big vision and the balls to match. I think you'll hear through his journey and particularly as a young man, as you hear him grow and see how much sport, particularly cricket, gave to him, the world of chiropractic and the community and how much he's learnt, his passion and vision for being coached and also learning, living and breathing personal development and understanding the need to grow and expand our awareness in this beautiful thing called life. You're also going to see why he has been brought back to the Sunshine Coast and has such a big vision for helping stop the statistics on particularly men's suicide and also opening the conversation, creating the space for men to feel connected, heard and loved. If any of you have any indication or concerns, please note this podcast does talk a lot about suicide and we do talk a lot about mental health, something that I truly believe is imperative that we get the conversations out there in particular for our men. If you've got a son, brother, cousin, uncle, father, grandfather, any beautiful man in your world that may be going through a bit of a challenging time, then this podcast is definitely a conversation and one to be heard. I cannot honor beautiful Sam enough for what he's doing, what he's given up and sacrificed to become the forefront and the leader in this movement. But also please make sure you follow him on all the socials. I'll have all the notes, uh, all the indications and links in the notes, but also just look out, Google, grab life by the balls, and you will see all the different ways that we can get on board and support the ability to change these hideous statistics that really are rattling our gorgeous men. It's time and us girls have an opportunity to get right in behind this right here on this podcast, but please make sure you reach out to him. He's doing some incredible work. 
And if you've enjoyed this week's podcast, of course, I'd love you to reach out to me. Head over to Kim Morrison 28 on Instagram. You can go to my Facebook page, Kim Morrison Training, or you can go to thewellnesscouch.com forward slash self-love podcast. Please continue to give your five-star rating. I am blown away by your comments, your feedback, and just how far-reaching this beautiful little amazing conversations each week is reaching. And so please, thank you so, so much. Know that it means the world to me and particularly when we're having amazing conversations like today. Take care, be kind, and for all of us out there, let's not forget that we all have the ability to grab life by the balls. Take care, be kind. Well, I think by now, most of you will be well aware of the fact that I get to every week interview someone incredibly special. And this week, as you've heard, it's no different. Welcome to the self-love podcast, gorgeous Sam Parker. Hey, Kim. Thanks for having me. Great to be here. Oh, look, I've been dying to get you on here, but for some reason, I thought you were just gallivanting around the country. (laughs) But before we get to that and your amazing adventures that you get on, just for the, the listener who may not know too much about you, perhaps you could give us a background about who you are, where you're from, what led you into all of the things and the extraordinary work that you're doing in this day and age. Well, that's such a good question to start with, Kim. Yeah, great. <laughs> um, I'm a country boy, I suppose. I, I was born in, we're going all the way back to the start. You wanted the whole story, didn't you? Yeah, getting a nod. Um, I was born in Inverell in uh, uh, country New South Wales uh, back in 86. I'm a Gemini, May 22nd, 1986. Um, on a very frosty morning, apparently. Uh, I was born there. Um, Dad was a bread rep at the time, uh, working for a company that Tip Top bought out. Uh, it was Regal Bakeries. Um, so Dad was a manager of the bakery there, I think, in town. And then uh, we moved up to Mount Isa a few years later where um, the Ginger Ninja, my sister, um, was born in 89. Uh, and then not long after that, uh, Mum and Dad decided that we'd pack up everything and uh, travel around Australia. And on those travels, about halfway, I think we got stuck uh, in a little place. We didn't get stuck. We ended up in a little place called Leeton uh, in southwestern New South Wales. Uh, Mum and Dad uh, were picking uh, fruit and veg and all those sorts of things that you do in, a, in an irrigation area, um, the Murray Beach irrigation area. Um, and then we liked the place and we ended up, um, Mum and Dad ended up getting full-time employment and uh, we sort of end up growing up. Uh, in Leeton. I think we did the other half of Australia at some point before I started school, but uh, Leeton sort of became the uh, the little home there in southwestern New South Wales, a uh, home of um, not many people know. Wagga's uh, probably the biggest town in that area, so Wagga takes claim of any sports person that comes from that area, but a little known fact for some of those out there that uh, Mark Taylor was actually born in Leeton, not actually, but he did spend a bit of time in Wagga, but he's actually born in Leeton, so uh, Leeton's claim to fame, amongst other things, is the birthplace of Mark Taylor, former Australian cricket captain, for those that don't know. Um, and, yeah, Leeton was Leeton's amazing place, a uh, beautiful place to grow up. Uh, can't say loved every minute. That would be an um, idealistic view. But it was a great place to grow up. I think it gave um, a great grounding into, into life. I think growing up in a country town, um, yeah, I just I – just, I wouldn't change the way I was brought up. I think it's, it gives you a certain perspective of things growing up in a country town. There's also a tight-knit community sometimes, which is, can be a bit, um, bit problematic sometimes, but it's also a beautiful way to grow up. And 
and uh, in a nice safe place to grow up and, and great place. Um, somewhere along the line, my cricket ambition was my main focus uh, for, I think, since I could walk was my I, – there's I've got a memory of getting my first cricket bat and, and ball when I was like two or three and that was all I did. Uh, there's a great story, I think, when we're in, still in Mount Isa about my grandma she she was down from or over from Townsville and uh, she would kick like a soccer ball type ball, that kind of size, towards me and I'd hit it with the cricket bat while she was putting the washing up. She couldn't get away with putting the washing up. She still had to play cricket with me and I'd go and hit it and then bring it back and start all over again. So, yeah, ever since I could walk, I was, I was into cricket. I had a bat and ball pretty much everywhere I went and, and was a big, very big focus of my um, most of my life. Uh, and still a passion of mine. Love catching up with uh, with you and Danny, and uh, getting my uh, cricket hat on and talking all things cricket with with Danny. That's uh, always really fun. I don't know if he enjoys as much as I do, but <laughs> he gets paid to talk about it, so I'm sure he's not too bad having a conversation about it every time. Um, and yeah, so my cricket ambition uh, was growing. I, it was yeah, like I said, main focus. Really loved it, uh, and it taught me so many things as well, which we can and brush on and maybe ask some questions about as we go there, Kim. But um, it led me to a place where uh, I had the opportunity. One of the cricket coaches, um, Ken Lugson, out at uh, out at Hay, and Hay is literally pretty close to the middle of nowhere. If it's not the middle of nowhere, uh, west of west of Leeton, uh, western New South Wales, southwestern New South Wales, like but proper west uh, on the way to sort of on the way to Adelaide, I suppose. Um, one of the cricket coaches out there, he knew me as I uh, came through the ranks uh, with the cricket in the region, and uh, he ended up at this uh, school down in down in Melbourne, uh, Caulfield Grammar School. And uh, it just so happened in the lead up to that, uh, we played. Uh, we were, I was part of a Riverina team that played uh, one of the schools. One, I think we played Geelong Grammar um, somewhere in uh, down near Cobram, Cobram Baruga, and I think we actually lost to them. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty good standard of cricket. Those guys weren't too bad. I should talk to Kenny about, you know, what, it, what were the chances of getting in at Call for Grammar. So um, that started the conversation and we got in touch with Kenny. Um, very luckily at the time there was like a, a push to have more rural kids in the boarding house. So there was, like, there was a rural sort of <laughs> uh, all-round excellence scholarship or something along those lines. Um, so... Yeah, went down there, had a look, and wow, like blown away. The school had the the best facilities. It was most amazing. Um, it's at the the boarding houses at the main campus, um, just down the road uh, from the uh, Caulfield Racecourse, and yeah, indoor centres like the Australian the Diamonds. Every now and then, would train at our indoor facility and all sorts of things. Our backyard was the uh, the AFL field slash cricket ground. Unreal. Turf practice wickets for those that are into cricket, turf practice wickets, heaps of Sinto practice wickets, just amazing facilities. And I was a little bit gobsmacked by the um, – I was trying to find the right word. Let's just say entitlement, what you get used to, I suppose. And uh, there was a general consensus around things at that school with certain people that have been there probably their whole life um, about the standard of facilities and things like that. And here I am gobsmacked the facilities match or were better than my whole town let alone just being at a school so i took that as an incredible privilege and re- privilege and and really got stuck into um 
everything that I could sink my teeth into, particularly cricket-wise, uh, while we were there and just really, really, really enjoyed my two years. It was only two years. I think I, if I went to boarding school before that, I don't think I was ready, um, but really enjoyed my two years there and uh, finishing off school. It, w- it was a great experience, um, lots of um, eye-opening experiences being a boy from the country, uh, but but definitely helped me grow up and, and mature into the person that I am. And I've, I think I've always had this sort of – it's constantly evolving and being redefined, but I think I had a, an acute um, knowledge of who I was and who I wanted to be. And at times that would – I would have a line in the sand kind of moments and wouldn't put up with with certain things and certain behaviours. And I, I think I, that sort of really came through – in boarding school and being okay with who I was and, and standing up for things or standing up for myself in situations where I was like, no, that, that's not okay. And, and a good um, idea to treat everyone equally, no matter where you're from. You know, in the boarding house in particular, lots of international students, lots of other country kids, lots of other, um, yeah, a vast array of different people from all walks of life. And, you know, you lots of interactions with staff members and things like that. Um, but I felt like I could always say good day to everyone. I could always be everyone's mate or have a chat with anyone and, and also knew, um, I, not that I was perfect, but I, I knew what I stood for and I wasn't going to settle for any less. And I think if I'd gone to boarding school a little bit earlier, that might, I may have been a bit more impressionable. But I think with the um, being a young kid, like I was playing against adults when I was 12, I think like the start of year seven, I was playing A-grade local cricket. So I was playing against men from a very young age. <laughs> and that's that's not um sometimes that's there's good role models and sometimes there's bad role models but you get a, a sense of who you want to be I think a lot quicker in that and I think cricket um really was a team sport like that where there's this amazing more than most sports this amazing balance between or interplay between being an individual while being part of a team even more so than footy and other sports. It's a real individualistic focus on your own performance. And I think there's some great great lessons and learnings being a young adult growing up with that sort of thing and having that grounding as a country kid coming into the city and things like that. Um, It was also a big eye-opener. I think looking back now as well, I think I could have, um, in the later years after finishing school, I could have been that thirst maybe one of, you know, drinking and that, and that sort of culture and things came in and how hard I trained, I definitely would probably go back and say that I could have done better, but I was doing the best with what I knew and, and what I had at the time. Um, so I, then I was, you know, there's, there's, you go to a private school and then there's always these conversations about what do you want to do for the rest of your life? <laughs> and am I allowed to swear, Kim? Well, fuck me. That's like a challenge, isn't it? That's the biggest crock of shit ever for me anyway. For those listening, you may be on a different journey, but for me and uh, following my heart and passion, which we'll get to as well, uh, that didn't ever really kind of made sense to me. Um, and I was a little bit late to sort of figuring that out. And I, I'd come across, come across chiropractic through our um, family friend, Mark Carter. Uh, Mark and Joanne are down there at... Um, in Leeton, that was a local chiropractor down the way. And uh, Ryan, uh, Mark's son, and I actually graduated together. So that's a cool story, two Leeton boys graduating together. Um, and Mark and Joanne are actually good mates with um, Cindy. I think Cindy's actually been around and uh, 
their place because they, they grow heaps of like apric- they grow all their food and things like that. So I think Cindy's had a great time down there. Anyway, side, side note. So our market always sorted me out when it came to injuries and things like that. Dad had always gone to a chiropractor. He had some neck issues or a car accident. Um, back in his younger days, so dad had always gone to a chiropractor, never anyone else. So when I had inevitable injuries or things happening when you're growing or things happening when you play lots of cricket, uh, Mark was the man and he was amazing and uh, really enjoyed that. I went to um, actually did work experience before I left Leighton with Mark uh, as a chiropractor and sort of always had this chiropractic thing in the background and uh, I got into year 12 it turns out you need to do chemistry um, chemistry for me going through school was boring as shit <laughs> um, and so I kind of missed missed that it was a prerequisite of, um, prerequisites aren't actually you know that set in stone these days as I found out um, but I think the blessing of that was it led me to uh, a health science degree but then that also gave me a lot of flexibility to um go uni wasn't for me after doing all these 12 or so years of schooling I was like well this is bullshit this is the same sort of stuff again a lot of it particularly first year uni that I was doing at school like what's the point like I don't get this this is a bit weird for me and um at the last minute just before not not too long before this the cricket season started in the UK I reached out to my mate Sully Uh, he was an older guy painter uh in Leighton he he knew everyone in England as well it turned out as well as Leighton uh, he'd, he'd played down in Hive, uh, which is in Kent, down in, um, down in the southeast of, the, of England, a beautiful spot. And uh, he sorted me out with this little, because uh, it was last minute, this little, um, this little village called Y, which is quite funny. At the time, mum and dad actually moved to Yay. So there's interesting conversations between us about Y and Yay and all sorts of things. So we could always get them confused. But tied it off after six weeks of uni, and said, no, nah, this isn't for me, took a year off and, and went and played cricket over there. Um, had some great support financially as well from mum and dad to be able to do that. And, um, yeah, just had the best time. The, the cricket was only at, we're in the third division of the Kent League um, and at the bottom of that. <laughs> um, so that was quite a learning experience, but I loved it. Oh, just it was amazing. The, the cricket, I cannot get over the village green in, in white. Uh, the cricket ground, I couldn't find it. It's a tiny little place. And I was like, when I got up on the first morning, I said, oh, I'll go for a walk. It's tiny. I should be able to find this place. It'll be easy. I did a couple of laps of town. Obviously, it's not big. And I was like, where is this cricket ground? Like, surely it can't be that hard to find. I think I went and got a, I got a pie from the local shop or something. I said, um, you know where the cricket ground is? So I was down this little back lane. And wow, once I found it, it was unbelievable. It down this little lane, couple of turns, and then all of a sudden this cricket ground opens up, but everyone lived around the ground. So all everyone's backyard around this little area backed onto the cricket ground. So what would happen uh, in summer, they, they'd all come out and sit in their observatories or they'd sit out in their on their deck or with their pims and lemonade and watch us play cricket on a Saturday afternoon then they'd come and join us in the uh, – in the club rooms, the tiny club rooms for a drink afterwards. And it was a great, again, a great village feel, a great country vibe. Obviously, I gravitated towards that being a country boy. And, yeah, it was the most amazing experience, great time. Uh, yeah, England, I just fell in love with being in England. I always, Aussie through and through, could never do I never did a winter over there, but then I had the opportunity 
uh, to do uni part-time because I hadn't stepped into the chiropractic world yet and um, and did went over to England another two years and this time played at a different standard and a bit of a better standard to continue and improve my my cricketing ambitions. So that was I found that was one of the best pre-seasons to do was actually not so much fitness-wise because you um, – you basically were at the pub most nights. <laughs> that was kind of what you did. There wasn't much else to do. Um, well, not that I thought at 18, 19 to 20, 21 years of age. Um, not so good for the fitness levels, but great for cricket, great for your hand-eye coordination, just not stopping the whole time and, and really did um, continue my cricket and push that forward. Um, I uh, actually changed clubs when I came back uh, somewhere along that line. I was playing for the Melbourne Cricket Club once I finished school. Um, an amazing cricket club, lots of history. Um, one of the one of the oldest cricket clubs in Australia. Obviously, it, they started the the MCG and all those sorts of things. Players like Dean Jones and many other great Australian players have come through that club. Um, never really hit my straps there. I would have wouldn't have thought for many different reasons. Um, and then uh, took an opportunity to go and play with a mate at a different club in the in the same competition and. Went over to Campbellwell Magpies where I played another like 10 years of of grade cricket there in Melbourne. And, and yeah, great experience and lifelong memories and, and really, yeah, just a really good time playing cricket. Uh, again, you just meet great people. You, you, there's an element of that you're going to war every time you're playing cricket. You're going into battle. Um, there's a, and I definitely have white line fever. Um, and you make great friends and great stories, great camaraderie with those while playing some sort of sport, I feel. I think sport's really a key thing that can bring out this mateship and camaraderie and the memories that go with that and the conversations and, yeah, life memories. And, yeah, it's just really fun. Um, at some point I also realised that I probably wasn't quite good enough to, to make it as a professional cricketer as much as my heart wanted to. Uh, there's a big difference I've found between being, uh, I think I figured it out, but maybe let's just say the top 1% of cricketers, but the difference between the, the 0.01% that are playing international cricket and being in the top 1% of cricketers, there's a, there's a, just as big a gap between being in the, yeah, around the 99th percentile to the 99.9 percentile is a massive, massive difference. Um, and that left me sort of a bit lost for a, a bit there. And I think that's where chiropractic started to fill that void so um got my big boy pants on just before 2007 before i went back to the uk for my third and final year playing cricket over there and went yep I, chiropractic's it i know what i'm doing i'll jump out of this health science degree and transfer across at some point that's that's the plan so i, I felt like that was a good transition that was still using my hands i was still around people um use my hands as in kinesthetic i couldn't i don't really enjoy sitting at a computer typing emails and things like that, although there's a lot more of that these days <laughs> with what I'm doing. Um, and so I began the chiropractic journey and I came back um, and did another year of full-time study. So I, had, I didn't have any uh, bad marks left after doing <laughs> part-time study in the, in the UK. That was an interesting, uh, interesting time as well. And then uh, so 2009, started my chiropractic degree. I met Catherine in the lead up to that. So poor Catherine has been with me uh, just as I stepped into five massive years of study um, and and all the challenges that come with that. Um, so she's been with me 
3N post. And yeah, enjoyed the chiropractic uh, journey. It was, again, there's still a lot of things that as a uni degree, you didn't really, um, there's a lot of focus on a lot of the stuff that could go wrong or things that you need to look out for. So definitely things that you need to learn, but there was a a massive focus on that sort of 1% of things rather than the other 99%. And so to keep my inspiration alive, I would go out and reach out to other chiropractors. I, I started going to different seminars and things like that while I was at uni too, to maintain the vibe that, and what I keeping focus on what I wanted to do and who I wanted to become, particularly as a chiropractor, not just as a person. And, uh, that worked really well. So I got into helping out uh, the VFL football club, the, uh, the Box Hill Hawks, so Hawthorne seconds team. They were just across the road. And uh, my mate, Joey Roberts, who was a physio. Yes, we were mates, even though he's a physio. <laughs> um, he teed me up a, a trainer spot with, uh, with the Box Hill Hawks and got involved in that sort of thing as well. And, and loved that as well. It was a great experience. Good to see really elite level athletes and how they go about things and how they, some of them didn't go about things as well. But great to be involved in that sort of system. It was sort of in the middle of Hawthorne winning a lot of premierships and, and doing really well. So it was great to be part of that going through uni. Um, but then also realised um, they're probably the most challenging people to deal with at times, athletes. They expect a lot of things um, or are given a lot of things for free and and then sometimes they actually don't actually look after themselves too well. Uh, and by the end of the like, chiropractic degree, I, I think I'd stepped away from that just because of the, the time challenge and and other other reasons, but you know, particularly financial at that time, sort of keeping yourself going while you're doing a chiropractic degree is pretty challenging. Um, and then this, um, and you've had him on the show. I should have listened to the episode again. Um, and then all of a sudden, with all this reaching out to other chiropractors and and going and observing, like the chiropractic community is one of the best communities to be around, as you would know. Um, just very helpful, very. Um, inspirational very optimistic bunch of caring people that are all a little bit different to the norm essentially (laughs) is the chiropractic world and and they all have big hearts and every time I went and observed with someone or hung out with another chiropractor or anything like that they'd mention this guy this guy would always get mentioned um and they were oh yeah I used to get coaching with this guy I'm about to get coaching with this guy um, on, oh, no, I'm currently getting coached by this guy. And I thought, well, bugger me. I better go and meet this guy. So, uh, in my final year of uni, my fifth year of Cairo, um, they just so the opportunity arose that this guy, Mark Possels, um, was presenting a seminar in Melbourne on a Saturday or something like that. And I was like, well, that's, and it was, pretty cheap to go as a student i was like well bugger me i'm going cancel everything else um i was quite excited by it i didn't know why um even invited my two best mates and a few other guys to come along no one was really interested i was like well stuff this i'm going and uh and i rocked up so the first session it was a saturday i'm pretty sure it's a full day session so it was broken down into two parts the first session was um about running a practice and the and the second one was um the second one was definitely more suited to me. The two parts I was like, no, nah, I'm going to both days. You know, I need to learn about business down the track at some point. So I might as well go to the whole, the whole thing. And so I went, uh, it turns out I was one of 
four people who rocked up in the morning session. I got there 15 minutes early and, and met this bald-headed, funny, oh, there's so many words you could use, but, yeah, he's a bit of a guru. He'll hate me saying that too, so that's why I'll say it. <laughs> met this guy that everyone had talked about. I met Mark Possels and because um, I was early, that's how I, how I roll. I was 15 minutes early. We had a quick chat and he was, as as you know, Kim, he's um, he's great at, understanding people very quickly i think it's tried to say that the right way and uh he got a gist of who i was and yeah i was blown away with everything that was going on in on the day i think at lunchtime we had a bit more of a chat and he goes oh you should come up and do placement and i was like oh at the time i was thinking about leveraging my cricketing abilities and going alongside that in some plant playing cricket and being a Cairo somewhere in the UK because that would be a great package, one, work-wise, but two, cricket-wise as well for me. So we were actually looking at um, – we had a friend of mine, Tess, was practising in Glasgow, um, maybe some potential in England, uh, but there was the actual – we seriously looked at potentially Ireland as well. So there's a big cricketing fee, uh, vibe. Um, culture in in Ireland um, and chiropractors as well. I think, and I think maybe you didn't have to do the you didn't have to sit another test maybe to go to Ireland. You usually have to sit some board exams if you practice in England. So maybe that was the other reason. So that was that was my plan. I was like, yeah, that's the plan. Yep, no worries. And then Mark sort of Mark just offering to come up and do placement on the Sunshine Coast. I was like, oh, I didn't say yes straight away. That was the odd thing for me because usually I'm like, I'll just go, yep. It's like running into you the other day. Podcasts, yeah, absolutely. I'm in. Let's go. <laughs> Five minutes later, I was messaging you, messaging you, and it took me a while. And then I looked at prices of flights getting up there. I was like, oh, that's not too bad. And um, and I talked to um, Zoe Maitland. So Ian and Sue Maitland's daughter was in my year as well. Uh, another chiropractic family, a uh, great family. Um, and so I was like, oh, I was good mates with Zoe, so we, I could stay with Zoe. She could give me a lift up and from Brisbane and we'd, you know, it'd all work out. So by the end of the, the seminar with Mark, I said, yep, I'm coming up. And growing up in southwestern New South Wales in a country town of about 6,000 people, I had this affinity and always have had this affinity with the beach. And I don't know, mum and dad are from Townsville. And so weddings and funerals and all those sorts of family things were always by the beach. Um, and I just loved it. Uh, absolutely loved being at the beach. Didn't know what it was, but just loved it. And I had no idea about the Sunshine Coast or what it was like, or I didn't know what it was the coast, but like I didn't really think too much about that. And then, bugger me, we flew up. Uh, Zoe showed me a great time around Brisbane, hung out with um, Ian and Sue. Um, Ian really does a lot of this kinesiology stuff. He's incredible with this. He's a wizard. Um, funny as fella he's he's cool um and he really straightened out a lot of the the diet issues and things like that that i was i was struggling with had these i picked up some eczema at somewhere somewhere along the line um over in the uk um and then obviously poor gut health and all these sorts of things had started coming through um as they tend to do with most people around that sort of mid-20s you sort of have to have a bit of a, a lifestyle change um if you so choose so I was already sort of doing that and changing my diet and things like that, but Ian really straightened me out. He got me pretty much paleo. Um, he got me onto this potato vodka. It was a brand that most vodka should be made from potato, um, if you're listening, but it's usually made from grain. So he found this Polish one. Um, 
it was pretty potent, uh, but it was good. Like, it was nice to have a drink. Um, found this chickpea bread. Uh, at the time, there wasn't a lot of options for gluten-free, grain-free sort of things, but he sort of really got me on the straight and narrow with that, really um, pushed me along. Um, and that was that was a really good change that I needed to make. But then I've gone digress now. I'm getting muddled up here. But that was that was really – and that sort of introduced me to, I think at the time, somewhere around that time, we started listening to the wellness guys and then there were these other these other blonde bombshells were doing some other podcasts and like all sorts of things. And so um, coming back to Mark, I was like, right, this would be really cool. I think we'd actually gone to – I think you guys did a wellness summit actually. So I think the the seminar with Postles was sort of April, May, and then I think you guys came and did – no, that was later because I'd met you already. Oh, no, no, that's right. Yeah, so then about June, July, at some point, August, you guys came and did the wellness summit in its golden era that it was. It was massive. It was amazing. It was such a good day. We were having these this health journey, both Catherine and I, and really um, – sunk our teeth into all that stuff it was fantastic to actually this stuff actually makes sense this makes so much sense to how i feel this makes so much sense to what's going on with my body at the moment but it was yeah unreal massive change and we were like wow this sunny coast place must be all right this is pretty cool all these people live on the sunshine coast what is it about this place then i came up in sort of september october before exams came and hung out with postles and i think um zoe and i did a big she drove me up from brisbane up to to Noosa and then we sort of hung out at Noosa and then sort of drove down the coast. I was like, this place is fucking amazing. Like, what is going on here? And then dropped me off at Postles, hung out with those guys, um, realised that the practice is like walking. So when I was, there was too much going on for me um, in the practice, there's a fair bit goes on in this practice at Coast Chiropractic Choir. <laughs> it's, it's big energy. There's lots happening. I'd, I'd go for a walk and um, hang out at the beach. I was like, this place is unreal. This is amazing. And, Never thought I, I would practice the way that Mark and, and the team do. I never thought, I'd, you know, it's open plan. There's this great energy. There's this, it's, it's the exact opposite of like a healing, nurturing space where there's, which, that you can walk into in certain places. Uh, this, is, this is vibrant. This is fun. This is lots of stuff going on, but this, this chaos that, you know, and apparently there is a theory for chaos and it seems to work at Coast Chiropractic as well. And I was just, I was just like, wow, this is amazing. At the time, I was like, yeah, no, now that cricket's finished, I'll, I'll, I'll do, I'll be the the chiropractor for the Australian cricket team. Uh, was part, it was sort of in my head as well. And then when I saw this, I was like, hey, there's something going on here. Like this is, there's a bit of cognitive dissonance, but there was also at the same time, I was like, there's something, there's something here that I need to learn. And Mark go, Mark has this amazing ability to go big picture universal like fully out there with ideas and thoughts the challenging part of that is trying to break it down as to what you need to do next sort of <laughs> getting back on point but there's this amazing ability to go absolutely massive and philosophical and all that sort of thing and at the time philosophy was a big thing about chiropractic but i never understood philosophy it was like no we just need to get this shit done we need to graduate we need to go and do our thing and and you know help people and I had no idea about half the stuff that Mark was talking about while I was there, but I was like, everyone else that I know trusts this bloke, loves this bloke, has talked about this bloke. I was like, I'll just jump. And so Mark, I was, I was hitting him up. We were playing golf on a Wednesday while I was up here for placement. And I was like, yep, 
I was getting all sorted in my head, playing it out in my head like I was going to hit him up for a job. <laughs> and the bugger, Mark, B Mark, just knowing things on Tuesday night having dinner because I was staying with, a, with Mark and Jackie. He goes, oh, so where do you see yourself next year? And I said to him, point blank, I was like, here. <laughs> and he went, oh, 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 okay. Um, all right. Um, let me just check with the rest of the team and I'll get back to you. And I was like, I rang Catherine after dinner. I was like, um, I think I just got a job on the Sunshine Coast. I'm not sure, but I think I did. <laughs> and and it turns out, yeah, by Friday, yeah. And I was like, Mark, everyone's, am I coming here next year? Like, what's the go? He's like, yeah, yeah, no, yeah, we're in. Yeah. So there we were. Um, problem solved. Graduation, job sorted before exams, went and finished exams. Um, and got really excited about moving to the Sunshine Coast. And we're both really excited. There's definitely a, um, and after traveling recently, there's a really great health and well-being mentality um, and philosophy uh, around how we should live our lives as well um, on the Sunshine Coast. It's really cool. And we just gravitated towards that. We, we, aligned, we aligned with it and we jumped at the chance. Um, practice was challenging when we came up here to start it, packed up everything in, in Melbourne. Uh, Catherine was born and bred in Melbourne. So that was a challenge for her as well. And it was a bit of a transition period of about 12 weeks or so from when I started to, when she moved up, she came up to visit once or twice. Um, and it's about 12 weeks till she fully moved up. Um, and yeah, unreal, very challenging. Um, connected with one of the, the local club up here, the, Oh, I was going to say the Lightning. That's the netball team. The Scorchers. Uh, the Scorchers play in the, in the grade cricket in Brisbane. Um, had that teed up and I was, I was like, I can't wait to meet this Danny Morrison guy. I'll definitely see him at training or something. I think I went to one training uh, with the Scorchers here and I was like, no, I'm done with cricket. Um, I played a little bit of um, a lower standard of cricket uh, in the lead up, half a season before we moved up. And I was just like, I didn't really, I didn't really enjoy it. I was like, I like the challenge of playing at a higher standard. Um, and I was like, no, nah, I think I'm done. I'd rather sip lattes and go to the beach and, and do other things rather than worry about getting to training. And, and to play at that level um, that I was playing at, you were training at least twice a week officially and then you'd be doing at least a two or three other sessions that week to stay up with that standard. And I really relished that. I really enjoyed it. But then coming back and playing a different level and I was just like, no, nah, I think I'm done. Um, and that was cool. Then... The other, the Cairo sort of things. I was like, oh, yeah, you're a chiropractor. Everyone loves chiros. They know what they do. You know, because I've surrounded myself with chiropractic people for five years. You grow, you know, you evolve and grow with these people over five years of uni. And then you're hanging out with other chiropractors and, and going to all these seminars. It's all, you know, you know, <laughs> you just know. And then you all of a sudden you're like, oh, yeah, I'll just put my sign up and yeah, sweet as away we go. Uh, and no, that wasn't the case. Um, very challenged by um, how we went about things in the office as well, the, the real wellness approach, that philosophy, that really challenged me. Um, challenged by starting your own business from scratch when you think it should be, yeah, everyone knows what I do, it should be sweet. Um, and lots of, and just growing and evolving, Catherine and I moving up, um, lots of different challenges within that first 18 months. And it was fucking hard. Um, but we got through. Um, as soon as I could afford it, I even though Mark was around and in practice, I, I wanted a specific time to to work with Mark 
Um, I don't know what on. <laughs> I trusted that he knew. So I was like, I'm getting coaching and as soon as I can afford it and then jumped in and, and did coaching with Mark I really and really found this extra time, started reading all the John D. Martini books and listening to as much John D. Martini stuff as you could back then. A lot of it wasn't on podcasts. A lot of it is now, but a lot of it wasn't back then. Uh, obviously, listening to I, – I don't know if they had sort of the speed changes for me to enjoy listening to Up for a Chat because it just went that little bit longer. <laughs> Catherine loved it. I tried as much as I could. I listened to quite a few for a long time. Um, but then um, you guys chat really well and I, I sort of, it got a bit too hard for me. The wellness guys was in there. I think um, some of Lawrence Tam's stuff, um, he had one there at one point, like Marcus Pierce, all those guys chucked in with all the books, um, different books, different, uh, who else was there? Tony Robbins was there. I think dad had dad had worn out the tapes and at some point got all the cds of tony robbins and then i was like hey can i have those tony robbins things this guy seems pretty cool just just went ballistic had this extra time now that i was in practice and not studying i was had this extra time to to delve into and get into some personal development stuff and i really 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 enjoyed it and um i suppose i got a bit evangelistic about it as well got really excited i was like well this could have really helped me with cricket uh, this could have really helped me in other situations in my life. Like how good it would be if I could tell everyone about this stuff and, and keyword there, tell, tell everyone about this stuff. Like how much better are they going to be at cricket? Like how much, you know, and so you sort of jump up and down and you stand up on your soapbox and you start yelling from the rooftops. And then, you know, as you know, um, no one counts. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, but then, uh, this other crazy blonde lady who I absolutely love and adore um, was coming into the practice at that time and she helped us, helped a few of us in the practice, but we did, went and did Karen's speaker fast track and I sat up next to her really um, still and still do, even though I haven't seen her for a while, still have a type bond with, with Karen and uh, did most of her stuff from then on for those few years and really, like I said, really got stuck into the, the spirituality, the personal development, all those sorts of things with that, with that grounding that I was getting from, from Mark at the same time of the bigger picture things and, and being pushed and evolved in, in that sort of that bigger picture space and that philosophy and getting more of a sense of myself, but everything else that we were doing as chiropractors and, and as a, as a person as well. Can I can I just come in? This is extraordinary. Yeah. And what I absolutely love about your story is that it's such an evolving, growing, passionate journey and one that you have actually followed your heart, it sounds like, even more than your head, so to speak. But there's a couple of things that you've said. Before we go into the work that you're doing now, I'd love to recap a couple of things. One of the beliefs that Danny had many years ago as an international cricketer was that life is a journey. It's an experiential journey and one that you grasp with both hands. He also felt that sport was a metaphor for life. So mm. you even touched on that and what you were saying, that cricket taught you a lot about you as a person, about you and what you could or couldn't do, about teammanship, but individuality. It also taught you a lot about your own personal self and what you were prepared to give, be and do and have. Looking back now in your 30s, as you look back and even telling your story with us today, what would you say has been the greatest takeaways from sport 
and also then how that's aligned with your life. Maybe not even talking Cairo right now, just talking about sport. What were some of the biggest key personal things that you've taken for you that still exist as a father, a husband, and all the things that you're doing today? Oh, good question. The um, the last year, four years that I played um, at Camberwell, um, I was the second 11 captain and I'd taken over the captainship, the captaincy, the captainship, <laughs> the captaincy um, early on the season before. Uh, there were some cultural issues I felt personally. I'm the kind of guy, and, and then we'll talk about obviously where I'm going. I'm the kind of guy when I see a problem, I kind of have to sort it out, like whether it's with me um, or just within the team group or in the playing group or maybe in society and that sort of <laughs> goes well with Grab Life by the Ball. So it was a real cultural issue um, and we, I felt like we didn't have – we had the talent but we never really gelled as a team. And uh, we put a lot of things in place, me and another guy, uh, the coach at the time, Youngie, Shannon Young, uh, and the assistant coach, uh, Anthony Jerry Maguire, um, who was a pretty decent creator, played with the, uh, the Canberra Comets back in the day. Um, we started putting plans in place to, to win the flag for the 2012-2013 season, like at the start of pre-season. I remember going to <laughs> Sophia's in, in Campbell. For those that know Melbourne pretty well, Sophia's is a massive Italian restaurant and you get massive plates of food. But anyway, that's it. And it was the team thing. So it's funny how, and when we talk about other stuff that I'm doing now, how I look back on this moment and I was like, well, what can we do? I, I was working really hard to learn. I think you just... You can't hide when you're playing, when that individual part of sport, you can't hide. You've got to face, you can't just pretend you don't have these weaknesses or these issues. You've got to face them head on and ask for help or source out, find the right person to saddle up next to. And that for me was Jerry at the time. He was, he's one of the best betting coaches I worked with, but he's also passionate. Uh, and it's interesting how our journeys have evolved over the years. He's quite passionate about the mental spaces, mental health space. And, and mental training and things like that as well. Um, he got me going as a player, but then also was like, that's great. But then the other part of the cultural element of the team, like who do we want in the team so that we're actually a really good team? And it just happened to – we knew who they were, but the performances backed that up. But somewhere along the line, we clicked as a team and what we were doing – and I didn't think much about this. Like in pre-season, I remember we had a – um, we had another great um, first-class cricketer who was playing in our ones, Brendan Drew, played a lot for um, Tasmania at the time and things like that, who'd moved to Victoria. And we were having pre-season games where ones and the ones and twos would play sort of mixed teams and that sort of thing. And I was like, Drewy, I really need some help captaincy-wise. I'm not sure what's going on here. What do we do here? And really ask those questions. And I, but what I found was like, well, he, he actually gave me some confidence, I think, and this was the cultural issue, was that I didn't have that confidence because of certain groups of players potentially. And he's like, no, no, what you're doing is fine. Maybe just tinker this, this, and this, but otherwise you've got it. And I was like, okay, cool. That's good to know. So then it was like, okay, what else can we do? And if you're a first 11 player and a second 11, there's a bit of like I'm a bit better than you kind of thing sometimes. And it just comes with who you hang out with a lot. You know, you become mates with the guys you play with. So if you're playing a lot of ones, you can only play twos every now and then and things like that. There's a little bit of difference because of who your mates are, which is cool. Um, It just happens. But it's like, okay, well, we need to we need to come together as a team. So what we did was have breakfast. Every home game, um, 
the season before, I tried to get the players for breakfast. And because of the cultural issues, like, no, 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 we don't want to come. No, what about this? What about that? And I was like, wow, you've got to really communicate with people. You've got to really get hit with that and then come up with a solution moving forward. People aren't just going to jump on board straight away. I was like, okay, every home game when, with his new season started, every home game we're going for breakfast. Now, I forget the name of the cafe. They were great people. We loved it. Um, a few of the boys and I would enjoy coffee and and have some eggs and stuff before the game. Uh, there was a boost juice next to it. So the other boys that didn't want breakfast, they could grab a boost juice. I think there was like, you know, a baker's delight or something around the corner. So everyone, no matter what, whether you're having a coffee or breakfast or not, you ha- just had to be there. So we'd get there. Usually you get to the game like an hour, an hour and a half before, particularly home games, taking covers off and things like that. And then I was getting the guys to actually meet before that just around the corner to have breakfast and get together. And what started happening? We all started gelling. We all had our own – you had to talk to everyone. You couldn't just sit there and not talk to the other guys if you didn't talk to them or, or get to know these other guys that you hadn't played much cricket with. And all of a sudden, the performances backed that up. We had an amazing season. We had some great players um, that had our amazing seasons that with that as well. But we also had the, the team and the camaraderie and the mateship and that group – sort of a pack mentality of like, nah, I think our song, our, one of the song, my song through the finals, which became the team song was not given in by the rudimentals. And that was like, you know, I think that sort of sums up our, our team that year. And I didn't think much of it, but then all of a sudden, like we lost, we didn't play too well the first part of the season. We started playing better. And then all of a sudden we, we, before Christmas, we started just winning, became a habit almost. And then all of a sudden, yeah, the coach goes like, oh, what's going on? Oh, I don't know. We're just we're having a crack. And I didn't, I didn't think it was revolutionary what we're doing, but he's like, oh, I hear you guys are going for breakfast before the games. I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, oh, that's really good. And I was like, I just, I was focused on wanting to win the premiership, something we'd always fallen short with at that club, particularly in that second 11 where we were always dominating but never really seemed to make the final or win the final. And I was like, oh, I didn't really, even though we finished second last year before, I was like, I didn't really think much of it. And then everyone started going, oh, oh, okay. And then everyone, and then the thirds and the four, it was a real cultural shift of the club around that sort of mateship and camaraderie. Um, I think, so coming back to your question, I think it's sometimes, it's, it's the simple things. I didn't realise what I was doing is almost a reflection of what we do at Grab Life Volleyballs now. I didn't even see that connection until I had a similar podcast like this um, about how people, just getting people together is, with no intention other than just getting them together, what the positive benefits are. And it's the simple, it's always the simple things. Do you think now then as this new beautiful pathway that you're on, which I'd love you to explain how you've got into this now and your trip around Australia and now with a young family and looking at your life as a whole, the moulding of cricket, chiropractic, health, wellness, connectedness, togetherness, being the best that we can be, it really is about grabbing all opportunities and looking at life in one big, amazing pot that you can actually put so much into, which is the way I see you live your life. You are someone who, you know, lives life out loud. And I'd love you to explain then how the concept or how you fell into creating what it is that you do now with all of these teachings, all of this knowledge. But also, I really want to talk to you about the mental health side of things. Perhaps you could take us on that journey. 
yeah, well, so I think that still continues as to as to where we were before talking about the chiropractic journey. I could see Mark and Sally and and Susan, uh, three other chiropractors in the office. So Mark Postles, Sally Battle, Susan Steinhardt, and I could see this. We can't see it, but you can feel you can feel that they were just fucking humming on life. They were just the epitome of living life on purpose. And I was like, fuck me, I want some of that. And I just swear to emphasise like how how big that is, not just to swear for the sake of it. And it was unbelievable. And I was like, okay, sweet, all right. I'm, the B do haves, the Martini stuff, all right, so how do I be like them? And I just want you how to be like them. And so I did. I, Sally was a great mentor for that first 12 months. She really helped me. Um, grow my practice she helped me become the car I was and and really helped me build my practice when she'd go away because I'd saddled up next to it she really helped refer people to me and things like that she was great um Susan was another level her her understanding of chiropractic her philosophy her passion for it's just unbelievable and then trying to keep up with the big fella mark as well <laughs> it was it was an amazing mix that particularly that first 18 months like I'm not, like it, it was like an apprenticeship really You'd done five years of this stuff and then all of a sudden there was the, the apprenticeship the actual life skills the hands-on skills the life experience and and I was really drawn to that I was like okay right so again I was doing what they were doing and that was great and I'd get to a point but then I'd keep getting to points where I was like, okay, well, well what's next? And I, I fell in love with this speaking stuff. Karen lit a fire under, under my ass at Speakers Fast Track. And I didn't know what I was going to talk about, but I had this fire about something. Uh, at the time, it was a lot of the diet change and the paleo stuff was quite trendy. And I was really into that. That had, that had really shifted my health and well-being um, massively. Um, so I was sort of talking about that when I was doing Speakers Fast Track, but it didn't really, the talk wasn't really connecting when you're practicing the talk at the thing and, I was like, oh, what is it? And then I started, I, I, I still got it on my Facebook page. I can't remember how many years ago, but I, I started doing personal development videos back when Facebook live videos weren't very trendy or anything like that. And I started doing that sort of thing, started doing a podcast, really got into this like well, living, a, living an epic life type stuff. Like how can we do this? What I wanted to coach, I wanted to speak, you know, I wanted to write the books like Wayne Dyer. I wanted to speak like Dee Martini and run seminars like he did. I wanted to live this amazing life like that. And, and I do that on the side uh, around chiropractic and family life and things like that. Just around the time um, Catherine and I got pregnant or, or um, even as Jacko was born, I, I really saw the re- real issue with men's health and a reluctance of um, wanting to step into being a better version of ourselves, I think is what I, what I could find. Um, and I really wanted to do something about that. And like, the, stats are, the stats are horrendous when it comes to, to men's health, not just men's mental health or, or male suicide. Um, over 70% of men or males in Australia are overweight or obese. One in two of us will have some sort of mental health condition or disorder in our lifetime. Seven of the nine suicides every day in Australia are male. And I was like, oh, these, are, these are crap. And I wanted to do something about it. And I was still a bit evangelical, I suppose. I was still trying to push this message onto people and things like that. But starting to do some work in that space and wasn't really landing um, as much as I thought it should. Um, and that was probably because I wasn't speaking from the heart. And then Jacko comes along, our son, who's um, almost five. Um, Jacko is Jacko. Jack, he is energetic. He's 
not afraid to be himself. He's the life of the party. You know he's there. He has big energy. He comes into the room and you know he's there. I don't know where he gets that from, but anyway. <laughs> and and the little bugger, he never liked him. We didn't. We were stressed as new parents um, and probably a bit disconnected. I felt the pressures of of provide and protection um, and just tired. Like we didn't really sleep much that 18 months. I was sleeping in a spare room just so I could get some sleep. And then all of a sudden your free time and a spare time working on other things, other passions such as this personal development stuff was like, oh, when do I fit this in? How can I make this happen? How do I transition? If I want to change careers, how do I transition? How do I do that for still trying to support a family? And um, all this built up over time until one point uh, it got to Jacko was about eight months and it was like, fuck, what does is, what is Jacko's life look like without a dad? And I hadn't given it thought. The thought kind of popped into my head. And I'm going to swear again, fuck me, it floored me. I was like, holy shit. And I was like, fuck, I don't want that. And so I started my own little, you know, 90 days of getting my shit back together. I think I was listening to... Um, Oh, what's the Wayne Dyer one where he does the Tao Te Ching? He writes a little verse. Like I listen to that every day on my way to the beach. I was religious with my gratitude and, and really started by myself, started to, to get back to where I, I, I was happy. I knew who I was a bit more again. But it also opened my eyes and I'm very grateful for that experience because it gave the ballsiness of what we do today. I can see where, guys, we all wear this mask. I've been to so many retreats these days and done different things and had so many conversations. They just, people come to me with conversations these days, as, as you'd imagine, as you'd be the same. They will just gravitate towards you and start telling you stuff. And it's like, there's, there's a big, there's a massive, massive, massive fucking issue with mental health. But I'm going to focus particularly, and I'll tell you why shortly, on, the, on that male suicide component, male health, male health and wellbeing. It's, and we, we pretend. Or maybe we just don't know how to feel those other, if you in inverted commas, bad emotions. We don't want to feel them. We don't know how to feel them. We don't know what we're feeling. And it's a real challenge. And so we do say, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, I'm okay. But uh, in my experience, everyone's got some, something there on their chest that they need to get off. Someone's got, everyone's got some guilt and shame that they're carrying around that they don't need to. Everyone's got some sort of unworthiness issue, some element of being alone. And I could see that really clearly coming out the other side of that time when Jacko was 18 months. I was like, we need to do something about this. So I was like, all right, it's going to be men's coaching. It's going to be doing all this. Well, you know, you, you sit down with Karen and you build out your, your stair step of different offerings at different price points and all that sort of thing. And you, and you get stuck into that. And so there's a lot, there's a few things happening with different mates running different things. Um, but I had the opportunity one night, we all caught up for a burger down at the burger bar at Maloola probably went broke because of the cheap burgers that we ate there. Um, and the, and the coffee, the climbing coffee co next door was the, um, was a whiskey bar on Friday nights. And so one random night, me and all the boys, just random, um, all our sort of connected mates, at least 10 of us all had a burger and we went next door for a whiskey and things like that. And I was like, fuck, that's really cool. That was a good night. All right. Next, next month, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm just going to invite everyone. And that's, that's how, Grab Life by the Ball started. That was the first iteration was called Bros because you'd catch up with your bros, you'd have a burger and you'd have a brew. So Bros, Burgers and Brews, three Bs, alliteration. I thought that was pretty cool. 
Turns out no one could remember the friggin' name. So eventually we came up with Grab Life by the Balls. But what I found was I, I was like, okay, this is this like a networking thing? Like do we have a theme that we talk about and all that sort of thing? And what I noticed, like I think the first couple of times we did it, I did have a theme. It was like gratitude or something like that. And I was like, no, nah, doesn't work and it's actually not needed. There's something magical. I don't know if we've fluked it, but there's something magical about getting blokes together and there is no pressure. Hang out, be yourself. We're not going to sell you anything. We're not going to tell you that you have to change. We're not going to do anything. And that, But guys would change. Guys would be happier. Things were different without actually having to do anything. And so we started building building events around that. I think we got some media coverage. I think we were, uh, I met my mate Sammy Coward through Ka- through Karen. Uh, so we got a, some local radio here at Hot 91. We got on the radio. Um, my mate Kenny Waterson was doing some filming stuff. He'd, he'd done some work with uh, Win News. So they got us on Win News. Um, and as you do in those sort of interviews, they kind of embellish some of the stuff that you're doing. And they said, we're doing morning catch-ups. So we started adding morning catch-ups with the Bergenites. <laughs> was on the news like well we better we better start doing that um, and then people started gravitating towards it enjoy the message somewhere along the line we're like well the, the name isn't working like what's the epitome of what we're doing you know is it pull your socks up but when you look at the definition or the etymology of or the the meaning behind pull your socks up it was to duck while you're getting bombed overhead and i was like well that's not a really good message that you want to put out there with your intention so i guess it's by the balls like what else is it it's it's it works whether you're you're at that crisis point where I was. It works whether you're middle of the road or it works, works if you're having a really good time. Let's just grab them off by the balls. Let's get stuck in. Let's go. Let's keep moving forward. And so the name stuck and had great conversations around that. People would come in and help us out. People were reaching out from all over the country wanting to, wanting to run our events across the country. Uh, I had some good people around me. We formed a board and became a not-for-profit um, my mate Tim Robson really helped with that. He's sort of my right hand man, which is a bit odd when you say grab life by the balls. But yeah. <laughs> um, and then we have got some other great people around us uh, in that space. So I, I, I knew I didn't know things. So I've got those people around me, um, and it went from there. And things were on the up and up. We really got some traction around combining um, un-Australian men's health stats, in particular the seven of the nine suicides every day are male. I think that's pretty un-Australian. It's also un-Australian that Australia has no world records with barbecues. Um, we were going to combine the two. Um, and then this this thing happened the last couple of years. And, uh, yeah, I think it gave me an uppercut but also gave everyone else an uppercut. Um, some other challenging life circumstances um, that were a bit harsh at the time. Um, but we ended up homeless. Well, we had the option to, to live in a mouldy unit or to move out, um, which is pretty shit. Um, so in that first first thought of um, the thing that happened, um, the first few lockdowns, that four-week one or whatever it was, the very first one, uh, we were homeless. Um, and I was like, well, holy crap, uh, rang a local MP, is this going to get better or worse? And he said it's probably going to get worse. So we hightailed it down to, to Wagga to stay with my parents. Um, as a safe place to be while we're homeless and sort of figure out what else was going on. Uh, at the time, Jacko had, we're living in a mouldy unit. was really bad. Uh, Jacko had had a, an awesome bout of school sores for like two weeks and due to the mould in the house made it even worse probably. Looking back, Catherine had a miscarriage, potentially something to do with the mould. 
and Jacko broke his leg somewhere in the middle of that as well. So highly stressed situation, dealing with the unknown of whatever else was going on in the world at that time and hightailing it to a safe place. Uh, Jacko, a little bit out of sorts. Um, so a few days into staying with mum and dad, Jacko chucked the biggest, longest, hysterical tantrum ever. And it triggered triggered my dad massively. And I had to get in the middle, otherwise things would have escalated. And so that wasn't a safe place for us. So two hours after that incident, we packed up again and we're heading to Melbourne, of all places. <laughs> this is still early days in, in everything that happened. Um, ended up down in Melbourne. And uh, I think by the time we left Wagga, it was five or six in the evening in the middle of like April, May, whenever it was. So Cat and Jack had fallen asleep and it was just sort of me driving. The moon was coming up over some some hills out the back of um out the back of Wagga, somewhere between Wagga and Aubrey on somewhere off some beaten track parallel to the Olympic Highway. And the moon was coming up and I was like, what the fuck are we doing? What the fuck? And why? Like what's the point? And I was like, well, why don't we just fuck off? Why don't we get a caravan <laughs> and piss off and, and go and see a bit of Australia and, and maybe figure that, figure that out? But that seemed like the next best option. So that first, first round of everything that happened, we were able to get back after a while, after a few weeks of uh, we weren't in any hotspots or anything. We would come straight back into Queensland, straight back into practice. Um, landed the most amazing beachside rental that we'd ever imagined and things were going really well. Um, but in the back of the head, it was like, all right, 12 months and then we're off, we're caravanning. Um, so, yeah, we, that, that happened. Um, there were a couple of little instances where, oh, should we say, it's like, it's, you know, it's, this, is, this is pretty easy. We've got the, you know, we've got a mad unit here. It's not very expensive. It's by the beach. Like, but then just little things happen. Like, I think the, something flooded in the, in the bathroom. Like, you know, just little things. I was like, no, 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 no. Our focus is this trip. It was just a little reminder to say, hey, no, no, this isn't your journey. Um, I just, I didn't know what the journey was. I knew we were going to travel. I knew it was a caravan. I didn't know. What I did know was that I couldn't be comfortable. Doing the easy thing wasn't going to cut it for me. Otherwise, I, I would get close to or become one of those stats. I was like, I can't do that. I need to get out. I don't know what it is, but we need to get out. So left the, left the stable career, left the practice that I built, left the practice that I bought into, uh, left the Sunshine Coast, moved into a caravan and, and went travelling. Um, tried to grow a, a social connected mateship movement um, around the country in the middle of a, a time where <laughs> when we weren't allowed to get together. Uh, so that didn't work. Um, most volunteers that reach out are in the demographic of, of a similar age to me um, where all their shit came up in the last couple of years. I think everyone's had challenges the last few years, but in particular, the guys that were helping me out, they just go missing. Like I did take it personally for a little while, but I just realized that was just part of the journey of what everyone was going through. Um, and then when things again, even sort of more heightened and things got worse, particularly, you know, the start of this year, late last year, things like that. I was like, well, what am I doing? Like, what, what's this? Like, I think I quit grab life by the balls, you know, a dozen times in my head. I was like, no, nah, I'm out. I'm done. I don't know what I'm going to do. 
maybe I play with crypto. Maybe I, I don't know, the coaching thing's not working for me. I'm not really enjoying that anymore. Um, all these things. Um, got offered. It was the turning point was getting offered a job in Morgan that I actually had to turn down, uh, which was great because that allowed us to move back up here. Um, but I sent it to sent it to Mark. I sent the job description to Mark and I think Amanda, who were both on our board. Mark Postle, uh, Mark um, Postles, uh, obviously mentor, not on our board. And then uh, Amanda, who's um, done a lot of PhD, um, does a lot of stuff in mental health and stuff on the Sunshine Coast, and a trusted advisor of mine. And, and and my mate Timmy and I sent them the the job description. I said, "Far out, that's you." I was like, "Oh wow!" Because for a mental health organisation, I think we would have had some clashes because of my passionate stance on men's health and and the differences of male suicide between females, uh, and and why that's important and how we should make the change according to that. Um, but I was like, "Okay, it is grab life by the balls, all right." And so let's let's just make some let's let's just have a crack at that. Uh, and see what happens. Let's 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 not kid ourselves. Let's just let it all go. And then this is the focus. I turn it into a job, turn it into a, a bigger organisation, and then just sort of this little hobby organisation. Um, so we're still this little hobby organisation as we speak now. It feels like, um, but there's lots of things happening. Uh, that probably can't speak about right now, um, but there's potential for it to go from from hobby to uh, very professional and reasonably corporate. For those that know me, reasonably corporate's enough <laughs> overnight. So there's, there's potential there. But what I did notice was like, oh, well, I need to let the the volunteer build the events. Like what did I like about Grab Life by the Balls? And, again, just asking questions and being okay to sit in the shit. Not okay all the time, but okay to sit in the shit. To okay to throw everything up in the air. The okay to, to feel discomfort I think really helped. And that was that was some, some mentorship, some coaching and some stuff that I did with a guy called James Greenshields really allowed me to access – and own my unworthiness and and my um, need for to be doing something to be enough, and to really own that, and just to look at things and, and really explore that. Because the more that you go into that, and that was my deepest fear, deepest darkest fear, was going into this stuff. But if the more you go into your deepest darkest fear, you realise you'll be okay. So it's not as scary as what it used to be. I think hearing you speak and acknowledging the way you're talking so openly and vulnerably, I just want to acknowledge you for that because I know for many men listening to this or women that have beautiful men maybe listening to this, then one of the greatest things is just to have that accessibility to, to open one's heart, mind, body and soul to actually be raw, to shine a light on the dark and realise that maybe the monster's not so big as we actually think it is without shining the light. One of the things that I've noticed through your conversation and actually knowing you as a beautiful human is when you don't know something, you reach out and ask. And I think that's a quality that I'd really love for people to hear that if you're lost, if you're unsure, if you don't know, if you, that the worst thing to do is to keep it inside perhaps and acknowledge that there are people out there just desperately willing to support people that are going through or trying to shine the light on that dark spot. So as you look at all of this and know, knowing that you're on the self-love podcast, do you think then this unworthiness, the fear, the desire to protect, to, to provide, to nurture, to do all the things that you beautiful men seem to need to or think that you have to do and acknowledging that it is a beautiful thing that you all do, is self-love, is that what you're bracketing underneath all of the unworthiness, not good enough, comparisonitis, perhaps looking at what we should be, could be, or would be doing? And if that's the case, what is your definition of self-love? 
Yeah, right. Um, I think that's different for me. It's it's doing what you love. Like that's that's the impetus of Grab Life by Laws. That's why we chose a, a positive and proactive statement to to make change. To there's lots of stuff going on with mental health, and and I keep mentioning mental health and male suicide as separate things because male suicide is very different to female and very different challenges. A lot of the time, underneath male suicide is uh, more situational distress or social press, pressures, life crisis kind of events. A lot of the stats will say things like separation, divorce, um, loss of employment, uh, financial issues and all those sorts of things are one of the biggest causes. But then also found a, another quote in the last week or so that 75% of male suicide um, will happen to people that haven't had suicidal, males that haven't had suicidal ideation. And due to particular circumstances, maybe the aforementioned ones, that it can and it can appear random and unprovoked, if you like, for lack of a better word. I can't. I'm not great at quoting quotes, <laughs> but there's a and and that would back up. You know, the stories I hear all too often about oh, I didn't see that coming, or oh, that person had their shit together. They were great people. They were successful. All those sorts of things. I think it's finding what it is for you that's self-love for me it's and part of my purpose is you know jacko doesn't have to do what i do but i want him to feel what i do i want him to live his best life and i want to to shine that beacon for him not necessarily the what and i think that came back to i'm going to do what these people are doing like with mark sally and and susan i'm going to show up with that feeling and that's what i want to show jacko i like going for coffees i like going for a body bash there's lots of different things for me that work. I love going to the gym because I know every time I go to the gym with the crew that I go to, there's a lot of social connection, which I never thought I would enjoy those group fitness sessions, but I absolutely love this stuff at, at Flux Movement with Mark, a different Mark. I've got too many Marks in my life. <laughs> no, I don't. No, I don't. I have heaps of Marks in my life. I'm very grateful. Uh, Mark Gordon down there at Flux Movement, the crew there. I know if I move my body, I'm going to be, have a better day. Or I know if, I, if I'm doing it in the evening, I'm, I'm going to have a, I'm going to feel better. Um, having a coffee with mates. I like, I like getting up at 4.30 on a Saturday morning and getting to the coffee shop and, and having a coffee with a few of the boys. Um, what are, uh, they're the main ones. I think coffee, body surfing, coffee with mates, bit of movement and, and working on what you love, having I that think- purpose, that, that passion. That I think I've only just got to that point now. I was like, okay, I can. there's things aligning for me to go bigger than the vision I've already had. And I'm pretty good at playing in that space. Um, There's an opportunity there to go even bigger and to have that purpose or the other challenge, that bigger purpose allows all these other challenges and obstacles that inevitably come with living, living life and puts it in perspective a lot quicker than what it used to. You know, you know, you're not wrong. And having witnessed my own husband go through his challenges and yet he was one of, you know, New Zealand's best bowlers and he had, Many would think he had it all there. He, he had it all gone. Why would you ever feel down or depressed? But losing mm. his sister to suicide has certainly pushed a lot of buttons and feelings of responsibility, guilt, shame. What you mentioned at the very beginning is what provoked him to go down a really self-deprecating, um, hideous um, pathway, really. And, you know, drinking alcohol, drugs, and, and he speaks openly about this, so I'm mm. not speaking outside of it. 
but I've seen many men, many men um, who follow the same route or certainly the self-deprecation where they're not good enough and don't see the point. And then women get frustrated and probably seem to henpeck or get, you know, that, that kind of banter going back and forth where neither of you feel happy. It's, it's quite remarkable to have men want to learn about this stuff and for women to also not just be beside their men and for their men and with their men, but also growing and opening their hearts and realizing that in order to have a king and a queen running or being the head of the family, they both need to honor and respect that. And one of the greatest quotes that I heard many, many years ago was one of the greatest gifts you can give your child is the love and respect of their mother. And one of the greatest gifts a mother can give her child is the love and respect of their father, irrespective of the relationship. And I think what you and Catherine are building and creating and by coming home, we're calling it coming home because you're back with us, <laughs> um, coming home with all of the knowledge you now have, all of the training, all of the coaching, all of the, the incredible experience that you've had, Sammy, has just created a beautiful energetic shift where men want to be a part they want to feel safe you know women have lots of women's groups business groups we have lots of chats we're very good I think generally speaking at opening up and having those conversations but can I say hand on heart one of the greatest gifts you're giving this planet this the space we call humanity is giving men permission to do the same so as I know we could talk forever and I would love to hear more, but what is your big vision with Grab Life by the Balls and how can people reach you and be a part of this? Yep. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of things happening. Um, it's definitely international. The, uh, the philosophy, the purpose behind what we're doing is that we are positive and proactive because with particularly with male suicide and male suicide, I focus on that because it's a leading cause of death from 15 to 55 year olds or 15 to 50 year old males in this country and similar in Western countries as well. Um, you know, if you're a certain, if you're from a certain background, you, you get missed by these stats. People aren't talking about men's health. We don't yet have the, as I said the other day, the blue balls test match, but we have a, and nothing against the pink test match, but we don't have a men's health round. We don't have a men's health test. We're not the best at looking after ourselves. And so it's having these things, but also being that chiropractic philosophy is coming through in the organisation that we're creating and the other steps that we'll put in place, not just the events that we already run, around being positive and proactive with these things, around not waiting for the shit to hit the fan because if the shit hits the fan 71% of the time, the males in Australia, they don't get that second chance. And if we can create space, like what you were talking about before, is if we're creating the space, we're not pushing the conversation. And I just want to highlight that as well we create the space where cool stuff happens where the conversation can happen because guys have been burnt i read a stat the other day two in five men that have reached out i.e turned up been vulnerable put it out there regret actually having done it so it's the space that you do it but the work that i did with cheese with james greenshields i couldn't have done with anyone else i trusted him i worked with him it's finding that person to trust to have that conversation or we're working, we're, I'm about to go and deliver a talk. Hopefully I'm not late. No, I'm not. Good. About be a great mate. We don't need to be professionals. We don't need to be counsellors. We don't have to have all these other things that we think we need to have a deep and meaningful conversation with our friends. We just need to be a great mate. We've all been in those situations where we've, um, we've felt like shit on the inside and no one's noticed. Or what did we want? We wanted to just have someone there to have that conversation and inevitably, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, you have that tough conversation. One, you realise it's not that bad. Two, you feel lighter because you got it off your chest. 
And three, you just move on a lot of the time. And, and that other stat that I mentioned around it being almost random, these events, that that suicidal ideation can just dissipate in 24 hours. So if we can be a better mate and actually say, mate, no, no what's going on? Ask. Ask again. Let them vent. Be a great mate. Just be a mate for them. You don't need to fix them. All you need to do is just be there and then maybe direct them to the, where to have the right conversation if they so choose. But if we can focus on being a great mate and have this mateship culture, shift the culture, have that more connectivity, go back to a bit more of the, the reason, you know, the community-based approach to what we used to live in in tribes and things like that, really put an emphasis on mateship. That's what we do with our grassroots events is mateship. If we can focus on being a great mate and help out that other person beside us, male or female, we're, we've got each other's backs. Like what kind of society does that look like? What kind of future does that look like for our boys and our men if we can be a great mate for each other rather than just get stuck in this individualistic, consumeristic, materialistic drive that is needed to a certain point but balancing that with a bit more of the human touch rather than this individualistic goal of trying to get somewhere to achieve something. What does that look like? So we're, we're working on building things from, from kids at school all the way to the elderly, a positive and proactive system that is grabbed life by the balls, that at the cornerstone, the, the epicenter of it is mateship and really creating that cultural shift to turn around those men's health and, health and wellbeing stats that are un-Australian, but to also to allow men and boys to live healthier and happier lives. And if we can do that, the ripple effect for females in our life and everyone else in our life and our communities is exponential. I want to bring it back to the cricket analogy then as we come to a close. Um, you said at the beginning that cricket is such an individual sport and yet we can't individually shine without the team behind us. We can't actually be a winning team without everybody on the same pathway or at least with the same philosophy, energy and vibe. And I think with what you're saying here is if we could look at life a bit like sport that, you know, we want to win at life, we want to win and be the best, but also to have our days where we lose, but lose with grace and know that it's okay to have one. You can't have one without the other. There's always going to be winners and losers. And I love the fact that cricket probably out of all the sports on the planet, and I'm sure many will agree here, is it, especially test cricket, which to me is the ultimate game mm-hmm. when it really... When it's called really test for a at, reason. That's right. And when I think about it over five days and people are always saying, you know, <laughs> but you can come out with a draw. It, to me, it was like watching a game of chess unfold. There was this this playmanship, this, this ability to come in as a team, to work together, yet individuals were shining in order for us to do that as a team. And what I love about the five-day test is that it really does show, and because it's a gentleman's sport, it really does show the tenacity, the grit, the grind, the, pers- the, the persistence, and all of the things that it takes to be a great k- cricketer are actually all the qualities it takes to be a great human. And I've never, ever looked at cricket as boring. I've always thought of it as quite an interesting dynamic between mind, heart, body, and soul. And so I just want to say to you, uh, combining that then with the vitalistic approach to health and the innate intelligence of what it is to be a human and to understand we have all the resources within us, that the way to shine truly is in amongst mateship, around community, around being with people. And I just want to say to you, if, if we can support you to help grab life by the balls, we know ourselves as women, there is nothing greater than a man who's on a mission and on purpose 
but has the softness and the beauty and the grace to nurture his queen and his children. And there's just something about you remarkable, awoken men that allows us to be even better women, even better, uh, stronger queens, if we like, in your lives. And so I just want to say you hand on heart, please don't stop doing this. I know you've had to do a lot of work to get to this point. But we, if we can change those statistics and if we can all be a part of that, as you said, it's not about fixing anybody. It is truly about being a good mate, someone there to listen, someone to show that they care. Can I congratulate you and honor you for this, my friend? And I just want to say kudos to you for taking this. It's not an easy route. And to be the leader, you're carving the pathway. You are actually the one out the front. And so for us to reach out to you, if we have beautiful men, sons, cousins, daughters, um, uh, fathers, uncles, <laughs> uh, anyone out there to be a part of Grab Life by the Balls, what's the website and all the socials? Yeah, so uh, the socials, Instagram and Facebook, the handle is Grab Life by the Balls Movement, all one word. Uh, and the website is grablifebytheballs.com.au. On the website, uh, there's, there's ways to support there. There's opportunities to donate. Uh, there's opportunities to find out where the local events are for you. There's opportunities to run your run an event, so be one of our volunteers across the country or help out in another way that you're, um, that you're great at. And uh, we've just launched our Be Great Mate Talks, which we just touched on, so entry-level sort of men's health awareness talks, but also with that, that mateship, but with that positive and proactive sort of element coming through, so slightly different to other talks that you've had. Um, that's a real way that we can um, start to be a bit more self-sufficient I can support myself a lot better to offer more in the grab life by the ball space through doing those talks and you can and you can reach out via the website there's a whole tab about what we're doing with that and if you want to have a talk um, facilitated uh, near you to uh, just uh, fill out the details and go from there but everything that you can do to support is is on the website and if you feel like you want to come on to our events all the information's again on our website so yeah. Oh, you're amazing. And let's get those stats down. I loved what you said. And I just want to finish off with this too, that most decisions around these mental health problems that perhaps many don't see another way out can be resolved within those 24 hours. That's pretty remarkable. Um, and I think that's really that gap that we're missing is the ability to find and be a place and space for those people, men and women to come forward. So Thank you. Thank you for what you're doing, sweetheart. And, you know, nothing's an accident. All the training, all the work you've done, all the workshops, all the, the people you've been coached by, I think that's another thing I've taken from today. If you're not sure or you want to learn or you need to expand, you've got to reach out to the people that are already doing it. Find totally a way agree. to make it happen, right? Absolutely. A final message, my friend, and perhaps a favourite quote of yours right now. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's fantastic to help get the uh, the word out there. Um, I'd imagine your demographic is uh, more female, but the, it takes a community um, to change these stats. It makes a community takes a community to raise a child, but it's going to take a community to turn these these stats around. And when I talk about what we do and why we do it, women lean into this conversation, and the men have already disappeared. So it it definitely starts. Women can see stuff before it happens, can see the real need for it, I and mean, if we can just even just raise the awareness um, around men's health and, and male suicide and how it's a little bit different and what we need to do. But, you know, it's going to start with the women. Women are going to drag the men along at some point, sometimes by the year, sometimes hand in hand. Um, but it, women, is this is where the conversation starts, uh, which is fantastic. Uh, the quote, um, it's a chiropractic quote. I was trying to think of the, uh, the Marianne Williamson poem 
Um, but I think the one that sticks with me, the one that popped into my head when I was um, getting ready for this interview was um, from BJ Palmer. You never know how far reaching something you think, say or do will affect the lives of millions tomorrow. Hmm. Gets me every time. So if, you're, if you've got something on your heart that you need to get out to the world, please go and do it. Uh, if your heart is in this space that we talked about, please reach out. Sam Parker, you're an incredible being. Love you dearly. It's a privilege and an honour. There's no accident that we ran into each other in a beautiful <laughs> health food shop the other day with your gorgeous yeah. wife. Yeah. So wrapped you back on the coach, darling. And all the best for this. I really mean Thanks. it. Having lived through this with my own beautiful husband and watched my son struggle at times and they're in the sporting world. So mm. sometimes it can be the best world for helping us, but it's also quite a hard world as well. So these conversations yeah. really, really matter. Thank you from the bottom of my heart for being on the Self Love Podcast. Thanks for having me, Kim. It's been a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Self Love Podcast. Be sure to write a review and share the love with your friends and family. And head over and visit Kim and her team at 28.com. That's the word 20 and the number 8.com. Take good care. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.